Welcome to the MPC Podcast. I am Tim W. Gill, pastor of Medora Pentecostal Church, and I'm thrilled that you've joined us today. Here at MPC, we are committed to bringing hope and building lives. One way we do that is through this podcast. Thank you for listening, for sharing and reviewing what we do here. It is our desire to connect with you, and you can find us on Facebook, or you can find us at our website, medorachurch.com. It is our prayer that today's message inspires you, encourages you, and that the kingdom of God is advanced in your life. Let's get right to the word of the Lord today. All right, tonight we're going to start our study in 1 Peter chapter 2. In verse 9 and 10, it reads, But ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people, a specific people, that you should show forth the praises of him who has called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light, which in time past... We're not a people, but are now the people of God, which had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. We're not the people, but are the people, have not obtained, but now have obtained. Tonight, we're going to talk about a trade proposal, a trade proposal. God, we thank you tonight for an opportunity to come in this place, and to hear your word. God, I pray you would anoint it. Let your words to speak through these imperfect vessel. God, I pray that each and every heart, each and every mind, and each and every ear would be opened and ready to receive your word, to be molded, to be encouraged, to be lifted in this place tonight. God, we praise you. We lift you up, and every bit of glory and honor is due your name, Jesus. Amen. You can be seated. A trade proposal, a trade proposal. Every single part of our lives deals with trades. It deals with exchanges, with negotiations, and deals. Whether or not you realize it, but think about it with me. When you go to work, what happens? When I go to work, I'm telling HFI that I will show up, I will offer a good amount of work, I will offer my expertise for such and such per hour. And you do the same at your job. You're telling your employer every day, I'm coming here and I'm going to trade you my time, my effort, my expertise for an amount of money, for an amount of security that we feel every Friday. The food you buy is also on a trade basis. You go to Aldi or wherever you shop. You say, I want a gallon of milk. And here's $3. Can you believe milk is $3 a gallon? But here's $3, and I will exchange this for that. The clothes you buy also, exchanges, deals, trades. Some of us have more expensive trades than others, and that is the pot calling the kettle black. But I believe you get what you pay for. When the trade, it's easier to do 
<laughs> the clothes you buy are easier to buy when they're on sale, right? Because you feel like your money's going further. You feel like you're getting a deal. You're really getting them now because it was 20 bucks, but now it's 15. I'm getting a deal. It's easier when the trade doesn't cost you as much. It's easier to say you want something when the cost doesn't seem like as heavy. You see where I'm going here. When the trade doesn't cost you as much, it's easy to look at God and say, I'll do whatever you want. I'll do whatever you need. Just do whatever you need with me, God. And then he starts saying, all right, here we go. Here's some things I'm going to have to see if you're ready to let go of first. Here's some costs. I'm ready to see if you will cash them. Will you? Here's what I'm offering you, God is saying. Are you ready to offer me something? Because he wants to see, does that weigh heavy on our heart? Or are we going to flippantly take whatever he gives us and just, when it gets hard, nah, never mind. It was too much. I jumped up. I bit off a little more than I can chew. We have these trade proposals. You know, God, maybe this, this thing you're offering me, it just costs a little much. And the enemy, he's always prepared to give you an easy way out. Right? This is the trade proposal we ought not take. Times when the road gets hard. Times when things get tough and we see an exit. Right? Every one of you know what I'm saying because I know what I'm saying. And I'm human and we're all human in this place. But we get to that point where things get tough. Things get hard. And there's an exit. You see that exit. You say, well... If I just drop this, or if I just drop that, well, if I just came to church once a week, it'd be a lot easier to get all this stuff done, all this time management. Well, if I just paid 5% of tithes, boy, that'd be easier. I'd be able to give more to other people, or this, that, and the other. When the road gets hard, we see excess all around us. And the enemy is never, ever shy about offering us more and more trade opportunities. We see from the beginning... He's always ready to offer us something in exchange for our God-given promises, the things that are so valuable in your life. He's willing to offer us the road less traveled, the road that's smooth paved with ease and comfort. He's ready to offer us one with less sacrifice. He's ready to offer us one with less of this crazy God stuff, you know, stuff that doesn't make sense all the time. He's ready to offer you something that makes complete logical sense all the time. You don't need faith. You don't need all this stuff. We see it in the garden, first of all. They had food. They had fellowship. They had beauty. They had the promise of forever perfection. But it came with one string attached. Just one. And I'm not trying to rag on Adam and Eve. I'm going to get to this here in a minute. Genesis 2 and 17. But of the tree, of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat of it. For in the day that you eat, you'll surely die. One string. One string. Have everything you want but that thing. Jump forward a bit in Genesis 3. We all know the story. Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, You shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree in the midst of the garden, God said, you shall not eat, neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. And the serpent said, that's not true. 
Eve, you're making stuff up now. You're not going to die. For God knows that the day you eat, your eyes will be opened and you'll be as God's, knowing good and evil. So he offered a trade there. He, he, he said, you give up everything else and I'll give you. But you know what I was thinking about while I was preparing for this? What did he offer? What did he offer in exchange for perfection with one string attached? What did he offer? What did the devil offer? And you know the answer I came to? Absolutely nothing. Nothing. He gave them the appearance of something. He said, well, when you eat this, you're really going to have everything. Now you got 99%, but I'm offering you everything. But in reality, it was a loose, it was a bounced check. It was something that was just air in his fingertips. Nothing. He offered nothing. He stirred their curiosity. All he did, and I hope this sounds familiar because it did to me, all he did was step in and be like, you know, they really ain't using you like they ought to use you. You know, all those things you're thinking and mulling around in your mind, God's keeping it from you. You know, God's keeping you from the tree. Why is he keeping you from that tree? Alberta, why is he keeping you from that thing? Why is God not giving you that thing? Why is it not happening? He just stepped in and made an offer. Said, well, I'll give you everything. You can have it. The thing you've been fixating on, the thing you've been thinking about, the thing you've been just really passionate about doing for God, and it's a good thing. So we automatically assume, of course, it's good fruit. Of course, this is from God. Of course, this and that. But at the end of the day, it's just an empty promise. It's an empty promise so that you will take the thing that you think is good and exchange it for the things that actually are good. Adam and Eve traded the one thing they thought they wanted for everything they could have ever wanted. I would have loved to have seen the looks that Adam and Eve began to shoot back and forth. Do you hear what he, the dude's got a point. God is keeping us from something. He is keeping us from, and if God is such a good God, why is he keeping us from the tree? Why ain't he giving us everything? Adam, what's the full story? And Adam probably, and again, this is all my imagination, so have fun with this. Probably jumped back and was like, well, I don't know. He jumped back to two, to two and 17 and was like, he just said, don't eat it. That's it. That's all he gave me. He said, you can have everything except for that. I was like, okay, good. See you later. And again, have fun with this. But Eve began to shoot back and say, well, but why? Why is God keeping? And he offered this trade that was such a lopsided trade. Now let's look at these questions again. Why is God not answering my prayers? God, why is it you seem to answer everybody else's prayers? God, why is it you seem to answer these prayers that don't really mean much to me? But this one prayer... You just keep from me. You see, the devil steps in and offers nothing. He offers nothing. If you, I'm going to get ahead of myself. Now, I want to ask a question, and this is just question. This is not fact. What if, what if it was part of God's plan all along to give Adam and Eve the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, 
later. All right? Good. I got your eyebrows raised. I got you thinking. What if it was all along his plan to give it to them? What if? They could have had it. So let's ask more questions. Why would God create the tree if he had no intentions to use it? Why would he? Now you can ask the question, and I'm glad you did. Well, of course he would make it because we had to have that temptation so that we could sin, so that sin would enter the world, so that God could come in flesh and rescue us and all this stuff. And that's a good argument to make. But it's never God's will that we sin, ever. God's plan for you does never involve you sinning. His perfect will for you excludes that piece of the equation. We are the ones that input that. That's why God needed a way out. That's why he had to come and redeem us. Jeremiah 29 and 11 tells us the thoughts he has for us is peace, not of evil, to give you an expected. And he knows the plans he has for you, everything from the beginning. So if God made the tree... And it's not his will. Now, we're, we're connecting stuff here, so hang with me. God made the tree. Wasn't his will that we would ever sin. It seems really plausible that it was meant for Adam and Eve. And again, this is just conjecture. I don't know this to be fact. It probably, maybe, I don't know. We'll find out when we get to heaven. But if he made it for them to enjoy the fruits of it later... They traded for what was going to be for what they thought could be when they wanted it. Never trade what God is doing in your life for what you think God could be doing in your life. Never look at those things that you're fixating on, the offers that the enemy, because they're they're such quick exits to the thing that, that God needs a long time to iron out, to mold, to process you, to walk you through things. Never trade, never take shortcuts to God's purpose, because they're never shortcuts. You know those times you're like, I know a shortcut. Now, there's some guys that do. I do not. Ever. There are no shortcuts to God's will. There are none. There are no trades that work out in your favor when it comes to getting to the will of God quicker. The only thing that brings that is character and submission. Let's look at an example of this. Exodus chapter 2. Reading at 11. Came to pass in those days when Moses was grown. He went out unto his brethren and looked on their burdens, and he spied an Egyptian smiting a Hebrew, one of his brethren. And he looked this way and looked that way. When he saw there was no man, he slew the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. So Moses is a Hebrew that grew up as an Egyptian. Seeing the affliction of his brother, seeing the affliction of his family, of his kindred, of his true nature, his true country. He grew passionate. He had that thing that we all have that started to stir up in him and started to stir some emotions and some thoughts. And that's not all bad. That's always good. Passion is good as long as it's aimed in the right direction. It's easy to see Moses's chain of thoughts here and to agree with him. It's easy to see that and say, well, these are my people. 
These are my brothers. These are my sisters. These are my family. This is my country. And how dare you smite them? How dare you make them build your buildings? Why don't you build your own buildings? How dare you make them as slaves? How dare you smite them? How dare you enslave them? And, and all this while, this passion is stirring, and the enemy just slips in with a little trade. It says, well, you can do exactly what you want to do, Moses. You can do exactly what you think is right, Moses. This is your chance. This is your opportunity, Moses, to do something. You better do it. And Moses goes, okay, and takes off. Slays an Egyptian, throws him in the sand. He takes the first available opportunity, and it was nothing but an empty trade. God had planned for him and did. So don't get worried. If you mess up, it ain't the end because that was the case. Boy, I'd have ended a long time ago. God has a plan for us. But it could have been. Again, I'm offering conjecture here. Could have been that Moses chose to kill one Egyptian rather than saving the entire nation of Israel. Could have been. Moses fell for a cheap counterfeit. Of God's perfect will. He fell for a cheap counterfeit. He jumped with emotion. He jumped in and said, I'll accept that trade. I'll take that trade. I'll, I'll do it. Let's do it right now. Let's jump in. And we do the same thing in a lot of times. We take these close imitations of what God has for us, of what God has planned. It, it feels like the same. It seems like the same. It looks just the same as what God has for me. But it's a cheap imitation. Many times in our life, we exchange faith for fear. We choose not to listen to the voice of faith because that's a lot harder than it is to listen to the voice of fear. It's easier to let your emotions take over than it is to come in and say, I will choose to believe what I know to be true than what I feel to be true. We choose a lot of times to trade anxiety for peace and just the same. It's easier to let our emotions take over and say, well, anxiety's right. There is a lot of stuff I ought to be worried about. There's a lot of pressure. There's a lot of stuff going on. You've seen the way they looked at him. They're having a meeting with pastor. You know what that means. Oh, man, things are getting anxious now. What's going on? What's happening around here? What's, what's, what's? And before we know it, peace has left the building. The peace in our mind, the peace in our heart, the peace in all these circumstances, we chose to trade it for anxiety. We choose to substitute lies for truth. Now, we, we see this on full display in our culture today. We, proverbially as a whole, are choosing lies over truth because truth a lot of times is harder to swallow. It's more abrasive. It hurts a little bit sometimes. It hurts. There's times in my, my wife does this all the time and I love her for it. She sharpens me. When I'm out of line, she sharpens me. Because she loves me. She will tell me, nah, I don't know about that. I wouldn't do that anymore. I wouldn't say it like that. And that's what someone who loves you does. That's what God will do. God takes his truth and he sharpens you. Because he has a specific purpose for you that takes some sharpening. It's going to get uncomfortable. It's not going to be cozy and nice and an easy path to heaven. God has a plan for you to pull other people with you, to pull your family members with you, to take your coworkers with you. And to do that, you got to be a sharp instrument. We choose to substitute lust for love. 
Love is hard work sometimes. And that's all I'm going to say about that. It's hard sometimes. But lust is that emotion like we just talked about. It's easy to follow that. It's easy to let yourself get worked up over that. These will seem like easy shortcuts for you. But they're only cheap imitations. They are not valuable in the end. They are short, quick, like bottle rockets. Gone. Gone. They are not long-lasting. They are not something you can stand on. They are not something you can weather a storm through. They are not something that you can hold to. They're trades you don't want to make. Ones that seem appealing, but they're short-lived. I want to encourage you that your purpose is immeasurably valuable. What God has planned for you, yes, you, each and every one of you, God has something for you. I don't know what that is. Many of you may not know what that is. I don't know what my own purpose is, and I'm the worst at trying to find it. I will, like, be super hypersensitive trying to figure out what God is, you know, well, he did this. He said, you know, the service this and this, that, and the other, and I try to piece it all together. All the while, I'm trying to find a trade. I'm trying to figure out, well, is this it? Is this the quick route? Is this the shortcut? Is this it? Because sometimes, and I hope you're the same, sometimes I grow weary in waiting. Sometimes it's hard to go down the long path and wait and wait and wait for what God has. But what he has is worth waiting for. And I say that to each and every one of you. The purpose he has for you is worth waiting for. Do not grow weary in this season. Do not think, well, NPC has had revival prophesied half a dozen times, and here we go again. Here we go. Here's another thing. Here's another that. Do not settle or trade or exchange what God is doing in the long term, because as soon as it gets here, it's going to be here, and everything that has been prophesied about it will be true. Do not let the enemy take that from your mind and take that from your spirit. When we have moments where it seems like, well, that prophecy for our church, it's, it's long gone. There's no way it could be true. Now, maybe they just missed it. Maybe he misspoke. Maybe they just weren't sure about the location. Those are imitations. Those are trades. Those are exchanges. Because God wants to bring revival to us. And the enemy would love nothing more than to get you to stay right where you are. Philippians 3 and verse 12. Not as though I had already attained. Either we're already perfect, but I follow after. If that I may apprehend that for which also I am apprehended for Christ Jesus. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended. I have not made it. But this one thing I do forgetting those things which are behind me and reaching forward unto those things which are before me. I press toward the mark for the high prize of the calling of God in Christ Jesus. Forgetting those things. When you look up the original word there, it gets us a definition to lose out of mind. You purposefully take those things behind you and you pull them out your mind. And you forget them on purpose. Reading again from our definition, to neglect, to be forgetful of. And I love this one, the last one, 
you no longer care for. I'm no longer caring for my burdens that are behind me. I'm no longer caring for the things that's behind me. Because you know what happens when you don't care for something? It dies. Eventually, it loses stuff to live on. So if you don't offer place, if you don't quit, if you quit watering those things in your past, they'll start dying. If you quit tending to, making sure they got enough sunlight, make sure you bring them out every now and again and talk about them and air them out with someone, they will die. Now, I'd like to, to show you an analogy, another analogy for this, one that you can see. And Brother Matt, I'm sorry about this already. So what am I doing? Aside from making you super uncomfortable, what am I doing? Walking. Man, that, you got that a lot quicker. I was hoping to make a full lap. But good job. I'm walking. Walking. Seems super simple, right? But there's a lot involved when it comes to walking. Because what am I doing fully? I'm pushing back to go forward. See that? These short little legs are pushing back, which sends me forward. See that? So when he says, I will forget those things that are behind me, I will push them behind me. What happens when I push those things behind me? Let me rewind it for you. I press, oh, better be careful. <laughs> I will blame it on my dress shoes, but it's me. So when I forget those things that are behind me, I strive for the prize. You see that? So in your life, when you no longer care for those things that are behind you, you're pressing forward. When I start to forget those things that I've walked through, and not forgetting them in a sense of a testimony, forgetting them in a sense of, I'm not going to be ashamed of those. When I'm no longer ashamed by them, I'm moving forward. When I push those things behind me, I start to strive forward. I've done a lot of things that I'm ashamed of. A lot of things. I could give you a list, but I won't, because then you won't respect me anymore, if you do at all. You won't like me anymore. Man, I'm really on a stretch here, aren't I? I've done a lot of things I wish I could take back. A lot of words, a lot of thoughts I wish never came into this old brain. And the devil would like nothing more than for me to stay there, not to move, not to forget those things and press forward. He wants for you to stay right in your past, right where you are, right where you think you were the worst, right where you messed up, right where you fell short, right where. Tonight, I want to encourage you, don't let your past define who you are, because God has already done that. And the only way your past can define you is if you let it, is if you stay there, if you don't move. So again, let's skip that back into the spiritual. The only way that we don't bring this revival to MPC is if we stay here. But God, you don't understand. It's a Tuesday night. There's not 500 people here. God, our town is ridden 
with drugs. Our town is ridden with hopelessness. Our town is ridden with this and with that. God didn't ask for reasons. He offered hope. He offered promises. And I will not trade what God has for us by staying where I am. I will not stay here and say revival's not coming to MPC. I will press toward. I will push those things behind me. I will push my doubts behind me. I will push my fears behind me. I will push these things that I think don't line up with it behind me. And I will strive toward whatever it is he has. To press toward there. To press toward that definition. It means to stretch. To stretch oneself. To move forward upon. To reach for. To strain after. Now, when I read this definition, you know what I thought initially, carnally? That sounds terrible. God wants you to push those things that are behind you so you can be uncomfortable? Did I read that right? Did I, did I skip forward on my notes? Did something happen? Because God, why would you want me to, why would you want to make me uncomfortable? It would seem like God takes me out of this discomfort of uh, being ashamed and guilt-ridden with sin and move us into what? Just wrap us up and everything's perfect, wonderful. Everybody pays for your meal when they're in the car in front of you. Every light's green. Everything's perfect. The rain parts around you as you walk into work. And matter of fact, you don't work either because money just falls. <laughs> it's going to be great. But that's not the way it works. God wants to pull you and push you and press you and pry you and cut things off of you and press things onto you. Does that sound exciting? Yeah. <laughs> But what he will do is refine you. What he will do is sharpen you. What he will do is not let you, if you allow him, he won't let you stay where you are. Because God always sees more in you than you see in yourself. I know God saw more in me than I saw in myself because I saw absolutely positively nothing. God has a plan for you. And it's bigger than what you can even imagine. It's bigger. The thing we talked about earlier, the thing you'd be willing to trade for, the thing you've been thinking of, this, well, I got this passion for this ministry. I got this passion for this. I've got this thought about this and that and the other that I'm going to do for God. It does not even compare to what God is preparing for you. So let's talk about some trades. We've talked about trades we do not want to make. Now let's look at the great exchange. Look at your neighbor and tell him, here we go with the great exchange. Isaiah 53, verses 4 and 5. I'm going to read this in the amplified version, so it'll probably look a little differently than what you see on our screen. But in fact, he has borne our griefs, and he has carried our sorrows, yet we ignorantly assumed that he was stricken, struck down by God, and degraded and humiliated by him. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our wickedness, our sin, our injustice, our wrongdoing. The punishment required for our well-being fell on him. And by his stripes, his wounds, we are healed. 
What a humbling verse. What an exciting verse. But let's look at this. He made a trade for us. So he calls us. We talked earlier about the one string that was attached, right, with Adam and Eve. He gave him everything but kept one string attached. Well, God made a trade for us. He chose instead of letting the punishment for my own decisions fall on me where they should, he moved me out of the way and he took them. Every time I let him down, every time I thought something, every time I looked at something, every time I did something, said something that simply was not right, the pain, the anguish, the weight, and the punishment, the balance that was tipped, he moved me out of the way and said, hold up a second, I'll take this one. I'll trade you. He looked at the weight of my sin, the weight of your sin, all of it, all at the same time, which for me is heavy. I'm just saying, like in my heart, it's heavy for me to think of every moment I let him down, every moment I denied him, every moment I didn't want him, every moment I ran away from him, every single moment, all at once, for my entire life, he looked at it and he said, I'll take all that weight and I'll trade it for you. Think about that. Now, I just told you to forget the things that are behind you, but I want you to introspect on them now. Hypocrite. But think about all the moments all those things, not in a shame way, but look at it in the way that God pulled you out of. All that weight, all that shame, all the guilt, all the stuff that God looked at it. This just blows my mind. He looked at all of it and said, you know what? I'll take it. I'll take your bet. I'll take your deal. I'll, I got an exchange for that. I'll step in and I'll take it all. I'll take all the weight, I'll take all the punishment, I'll take all the shame, I'll take all the pressure, I'll take all the stripes, I'll take all the wounds, I'll take spitting in my face, I'll take the crown of thorns, I'll take people slapping me, I'll take every single bit of it because you're worth it. He stepped in and said, that's a trade I'll take. And I get impatient when I don't get what I want. I get impatient when things don't work out like they think they should. That's the one string attached. Don't take any trades. Dylan, I'll take it all. I'll cover it all. I will step in and take every single bit of it. Second Corinthians, Isaiah 60. No, actually, I'm going to skip down. First Peter 2, if you would stand with me. <clears throat> First Peter 2 and 10. This is from our opening text. Which in time past were not a people, 
but now are the people of God, which had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. Several years back, Jordan Stumbo preached here, and he said a section of this message will stick with me forever because I go back to it a lot, and it ministers to me. It did just a few days ago. He was talking about the potter and the clay, and he was talking about how we all want to be used by God, right? We have all say that all the time. Yeah, God, I'll do whatever you want. Yeah, here we go. Yeah. Tell me what you need me to do. Yeah, here we go. Yeah. What do you need? Stick me up on that clay. Stick me up on that potter's wheel. I'll be, I'll be your masterpiece, God. Go ahead. Do what you can with it. But let's look at that. He looked at it from a little different perspective. What was the perspective of the clay? The whole time that's going on, the potter's forming the clay. What is the clay experiencing? First, everything's spinning. Nothing makes sense. And all the while, he feels pressure. He feels the hands of the potter pushing in, pulling out, cutting, shaping, pushing in the middle to make it a useful vessel. All the while, nothing makes sense. And that's exactly how it feels a lot of times. When we say, God, I want to be your masterpiece. Do whatever you want. He takes you up on it. says, all right, here we go. Let me put you on the wheel. Proverbially, in our life, he puts us in some circumstances and some situations that are tough, that are hard, that don't make sense. It feels like everything's spinning. And all I feel is pressure. All I feel is cutting. All I feel is like there's no way this can be God. There's no way this situation, this circumstance, there's no way this can be of God. There's no way this can be his will. While all the while, it's exactly what he wants. The thing that he paid the heaviest price for in his hands, ready to be changed, ready to be molded, ready to be formed into whatever it is he needs. So tonight, I just want to encourage you. You can just find a spot to pray. You can, whatever you'd like. I just want to encourage you, your purpose tonight, the vessel at the end of this process in you is worth it a hundred times over. Don't get impatient in this season. Don't let the spinning, the pressure, the cutting, don't let it slow you down. Don't let it make an exchange for what's at the end of the line because God has a beautiful vessel planned for you. He has something special planned for your life. So I want to encourage you, don't give up. Don't trade it. Don't take the offer that's given. Don't take these cheap, chintzy imitations. They're not worth it. So I encourage you tonight, Find a spot on the wheel. 
Find a spot in his hands. Realize that the pressure you feel, it's just God at work. The things you feel going on in your life, the things you understand, the things that you just think are just coming to bombard you, to overload you, they're actually God at work. So just rest. Thank you for listening to the MPC podcast. We trust that today's message has inspired you, encouraged you, and strengthened you in the Lord. We would like to invite you to join us again by simply subscribing to our podcast, and we encourage you to write a review if it has been a blessing to you. Again, you can find us at medorchurch.com to learn more about our ministry.